Our gospel text today comes from the gospel of Mark. It's always uh, jarring to me at the beginning of Advent because we change years. Um, so we went, we're in year C, B, and now we're in year C. No, we were in A. We were in A. Now, now, I don't know. But you have to change books. Um, and so we were in A. Now we're in B. And so when I went and assumed that I was going to be preaching from the gospel of John today, um, and it was the gospel of Mark. Um, and I will tell you that that's not always my favorite Advent text, and I had to readjust things that I intended, but we are going to jump into the gospel of Mark chapter 13, 24 through 37. But in those days after the suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with a great power and glory. And then he will send out his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch comes under, becomes tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things that are taking place, you will know that he is near and he is at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away, says the Lord. But about the day or the hour, no one knows, neither the angel in heaven nor the son, but only the father. Beware and keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey. When he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his own work and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or at the cock crow or at the dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So I don't know if I'm the only one, but in the last four months, I feel like I have not hung out with other humans if it does not involve a fire pit like for some reason well i know the reason one we have to be outside um two it has gotten cold and you don't want to just hang outside out outside and you know a camp chair by yourself so there's just fire pits everywhere um if y'all want to hang out with family or friends or basically anybody I saw on the Today Show, well, the only time I ever watched the Today Show is never, but it came on right before the Macy's Parade. And they're like, the hottest ticket item of the summer, fire pits. I mean, the winter, fire pits. And I was like, well, obviously, we can't do anything else. There's nothing else to do. Um, so I feel like currently in my current state, my hair perpetually smells, ladies, you know what I'm talking about. My hair perpetually smells like the smoke and I can't get it out. Um, like I'll wash it and then we'll go do another thing that's outside and then I have to wash it again. And even this morning I was flat ironing my hair after I washed it and it smelled like smoke still, like you could just smell it. Um, been around a lot of fire pits in the last couple of days. And it's just something that kind of permeates everything and what you do. But there's something about the ritual of having to go through this, like camp chairs around the fire, the fire must be meticulously lit. Ask Alex's wife. She's very intent on lighting our fires appropriately. Um, you have to be meticulously lit or everything just goes to crap and they go out like really quick. You don't really know what you're doing. And then the conversations that happen around it are, 
I feel like different and more in depth than it would be if we were in the house and had other things going around on. You have no other choice but just to talk to the person sitting in the camp chair next to you. So these conversations are deep and enriching and enjoyable. Um, and then there's those one or two people who their job is, is to throw another log on the fire because you'll get to talking and get to sitting there for so long, the fire's dwindled and dwindled. And, and there's someone who's like, oh, we need a log. Oh, we got to put more something on there. Oh, we got to deal with this. Like there's always that coast couple of people that really enjoy that part of the ritual. And you have to consistently check it and make sure that we want it as large as we want it to be, to be as warm as we want it to be, so we, that we can stay out there as long as we can. And then you add the kids into the mix. There is not a child on the planet, I don't think, that doesn't love campfires and fire pits. Um, our kids are in love with them for some reason. Small children will just find all the little sticks in the yard or every leaf and be like, you know what we need to do? Throw all of these in the fire. We just need to see what'll happen. We need to see what's about to occur right now, right? Like it's part of this ritual and this thing about what can happen when we're doing this. On Thanksgiving, we were at my cousin's. A few of us got together. Y'all know I have a big family, so it was nowhere near like all my siblings. I had two siblings, two of my siblings and one of my cousins who's like a sibling. And we had our families together for Thanksgiving outside. Um, and so my cousin is a landscaper by trade. And so his backyard is beautiful. And he has this huge fire pit that's probably what, 15 feet long? Mm -hmm. It's 15 feet long and it's made of stone and it has these three deep wells where you can put fire on the inside and the outside of it has these like stone slate edge around it to where you can kind of use it like a table. So we kind of ate literally around the fire um, while we were eating Thanksgiving and hanging out and talking. Um, and Eden, my almost nine-year-old, spent the whole time just moving logs. Kalki, uh, my cousin, taught her how to use these little tong things, fire tongs, I'm gonna call them fire tongs, how to use these fire tongs and to move like lighted logs from one pit to the next pit. And she might've done that for like four or five hours. Like she was like, oh, we need to move this. Oh, we need to change this. I don't know if she knew what she was doing, but she had loads of fun just stirring and stoking this fire for hours for all of us. She had a great time. And in the middle of this pandemic, when everything is virtual, school is virtual, for most of us, work is virtual, church is virtual, life, life has moved on to screens. I found it funny that Alex the other day posted this thing on Facebook that said, I have decided to spend my weekend watching a big screen while playing with my little screen to reward myself for doing a good job of watching my medium-sized screen all week long. I was like, well, I'm offended by that. Um, it was too, it was too on the nose, right? Everything is virtual. So in the time when everything is virtual, to feel this rustic and real and physical component, like if you really, really want to see your friends, you're going to have to work on it. You're going to have to find firewood. Corey has a great firewood story. I'm going to let him tell you at a different time about how he put money in a tree and then um, like called a number and then just took logs off the side of the road. But anyway, all of these things, you have to invest this effort just to be able to do something that seems so real, right? You have to make this effort to make this fire happen so you can actually have this physical component of friendship. 
In our Hebrew text this morning, we are reminded that we are not the only ones that need this physical component. You know, growing up, I was convinced that these wandering Israelites, like they were just whiny and they were complainers and they were ungrateful. And those Israelites really seemed to be rude people wandering in the wilderness, right? But the more I have been digging into the book of Exodus lately, the more I identify with the wanderers in Exodus. The more I identify with those Israelites. Because for them, they were removed from their captivity. And for us, we had our normalcy removed. But either way, just like the Israelites, what we are both lacking is consistency. So it's, it's not whiny to ask God for some manna from heaven. And it's not selfish to ask God to lead us with fire by night. Because when we don't know what the next step looks like, when we don't know what tomorrow holds, when we don't know those things, and those things that are often intimidating and scary, when hope seems like a difficult thing to decipher, we can ask. We can ask for the fires of God to light our next step. We can ask for a pillar of fire to go before us. We're allowed to do that. When we look at our New Testament text this week, we see the prophetic words of Jesus. And the prophetic words of Jesus in this portion of a text is all in response to the disciples asking this question. They said, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign that all of these things are about to be accomplished? With traditional eschatology and Jewish apocalyptic imagery, the culmination of the realm of God is foretold. Jesus, in a response on the Mount of Olivet, dictates the signs of the impending tribulation and the destruction of the temple. The temple that is about to be destroyed, right? The center of religious life, the temple of the Jews, will surely be destroyed. And the question is, is when, when will it be destroyed? A pertinent question for our contemporary readership, me and you, is what happens when the temple is destroyed? And I would be lying if I told you this morning that closing our physical house of worship didn't feel like temple destruction to me. In a matter of days, the pandemic prompted all faith leaders and communities to abandon their brick and mortar and reconvene in our virtual sanctuaries. Across traditions, not just ours, faith leaders had to reimagine and re-envision what it means to live without a physical assembly in a physical space. The the, mm, sorry, the disruption that was expected to last a few weeks. Remember when we thought it'd be three or four weeks and then we'd all come back? 
It was supposed to last a couple weeks. Well, now we're eight months in and counting and it feels like there's no end in sight, except there is, praise God for vaccines. Amen and amen. See, something was lost in an instant. Demolished by the prevalence of a virus. Was it our normalcy or our comfort or our security or any perception that there was those things? But in the midst of all of that is our Advent call, like there was a call to the disciples then at the destruction of their temple and a call for us right now to watch and wait for the work remains. To watch and wait with pregnant pause because the work of God remains in our midst. So today we light the first Advent candle which is truly an act of defiance and resistance for me, for you. Today, we light the hope candle and declare by faith. Y'all have heard me say it before. We declare by faith that we, we light candles when we pray to declare that no matter how dark it gets, light finds a way. We light candles when we pray to declare that no matter how dark it gets, light finds a way. Hope pushes through. Hope for humanity. Hope that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living like he promised us in the Psalms. Hope for today. Hope for tomorrow. Like the Israelites wandering the desert, hope may feel strange to you this morning. This year has been filled with disappointments, so many cancellations and changes. Hope often feels like a fool's errand. But let us find comfort in the defiant hope that is community. Maybe I need one of you to start the concept of hope for me. Maybe I need some of you to continually put logs on the fire of hope when I cannot find hope for my own self. Maybe we all need children to dance and play around the fires of hope to remind us of a time when hope was easier for us to acquire. This year, this year, you might need more than the fires of an advent candle. You might need a campfire's worth of advent to guide your path. But that means that we need community. We know that the presence of Emmanuel is coming. We're looking at that on the horizon. We know that the fire of God goes before us we need each other to remind us that it is not foolish to hope for better days, that it is right, that it is good, that it is holy to lean on each other, to lean on each other and to stoke the fires of hope. Let us pray. Dear God in heaven, we are grateful for your presence with us. 
We are grateful for your word that promises goodness in the land of the living. We are grateful for the hope that is you, that is Christ Jesus, that is Emmanuel, the God that is with us, that is present in our moments. We are grateful that we can lean on you for that hope. And when the darkness gets too much and I can't find that hope on my own, we are grateful for a community that points us to hope. For an advent that begs us to hope. For a church that declares light in the darkness. Be with us in the next few minutes of this service. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.